This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. All right, welcome back to Sportsbook. We've done so much football, talking about the AAF. We've talked about basketball recently with the analytics revolution. Finally, though, we can turn our attention to baseball, spring approaching that glorious time of year. And this week, as you hear this episode, it is the official opening day, although I guess there was a soft opening day recently. We want to bring on our new friend, Hannah Kaiser, national baseball writer for Yahoo Sports. Hi, Hannah. I know it's a little tricky this year. Yeah. This has been this has been a problem in all of our stories that we're trying to write is whether or not Thursday is opening day. So on Thursday, 28 of the 30 baseball teams will play their first game of 2019. Unfortunately, the A's and the Mariners already played two games literally last week. At when this is coming out, it'll have been over a week since wow. they played those games. Where were those games? They were in Tokyo. They're at the Tokyo yeah. Japan, the Tokyo Dome in Japan. This has been in the works for years. This is sort of why. Ichiro was still on the baseball team at the end of last uh. year, despite being not great at 44. Um, they wanted him to sort of get his chance to retire. Everyone knew this was coming. This was like effectively planned for him so he could play his final two games as a professional baseball player back in Japan. Okay, now see, this is interesting because, you know, love Ichiro, uh, just uh, such a likable player, total legend, but I heard a friend pointing out, wait a minute, do you guys realize, like, Ichiro just retired? And I said, yeah, I saw the Instagram post about it, I saw some stuff from MLB, you know, they, they posted, what's your favorite Ichiro moment? And my buddy pointed out, to me, this is so MLB that they have this great moment that they could have blown out. They could have had Ichiro Day, have him come back to the home stadium. And instead, they take him over to Tokyo and he retires there and does his final game there. Now, you know, no disrespect, but it's like th- this is true that MLB has a way of kind of blowing what could be big moments. By the way, it's March Madness week. So the biggest story in sports in America right now is March Madness. You don't have a, a total legend, an absolute, you know, cash the check Hall of Famer do his final big game yeah. overseas. Do you? It's not even so much the overseas that bothers me. They just did a terrible job of promoting this particular series. I mean, uh, there were there were two games, luckily, or else I would have missed them. I, I literally, this is a bad thing to admit, <laughs> slept through the first one. I had <laughs> breakfast with someone from MLB that day, and I said... Was there a baseball game this morning? Oh, man, <laughs> he was man, like, man. "Yeah," and I said, "Yeah, you guys need to do better because I yes. cover this and I didn't know that. Yeah. I made it. I made it for the second one, which was Ichiro's last game. I was thinking there had to have been some better. Well, you got to promote it the night before. It started 5:30 Eastern Standard Time in the morning, and no one's up at you know whatever. No one's up at that point naturally, but people might wake up. I woke up for the second one. You got to." That's got to be everywhere. That's it's so MLB, yeah. though, that they bury these big moments. Bring him back, trot him around, and do each row day. Let the fans give him the standing O. I know there was some of that last season already. But, you know, this is the knock on baseball. I'm, I'm glad we have you, and I want to talk about all the new storylines this season. But even before we do, you know, from a macro level, we know that there's been this narrative. You know, I cover it from the business angle of ratings and in terms of at-ballpark attendance. Attendance started out last season at this time at a, at a very low number. It was like, you know, I think six weeks into the season, it was—I don't know how we ended up at the end of last season, but six weeks in, it was like the lowest average at-the-ballpark attendance numbers in 18 years. So there's this narrative that certain numbers— can make the case if you want to do this of, oh, baseball is dying, it's in trouble. You know, I don't buy it. You don't buy it. Love baseball. Baseball is still my favorite sport to watch, you know, that and football. Um, You know, it's a longer season, and I get that, and people want the games to be shorter. Although, side note, I think some of the efforts they're doing to shave off just two minutes, it's like silly. Um, But let me just ask, you know, as you hear this more and more, someone who, you know, for your career, you are covering baseball full time. 
does it get tiring? What are the retorts to this? And, and why do you think that narrative in the last five, six years prevails that some people want yeah. to say, oh, MLB is in trouble? Well, it's funny that you have the sort of the early season numbers on attendance because you and I were just talking before we started the podcast about it feels like opening day is earlier and earlier. And I, you know, I don't know how much you can sort of chalk up to that, but it is cold. It is far too cold to go to baseball totally. in March and, you know, whatever. March 28th is pretty close to April. But it's I wonder how much that has to do with it. It is just not a great time to to go to a baseball game in early March or late March or early April. Um, as far as whether or not the sport is dying, it's interesting. I think the league is talking a lot more about pace of play than fans even are. Um, I'm I'm looking into talking to fans about what it is that actually is sort of driving their interest away. I'm, I'm writing about this right now. I think it has a lot more to do with things like the MLB TV blackouts. People are cord cutting. They're not able to watch uh, baseball as much. And unlike game, unlike sports like the NBA and the NFL, where there's sort of only one game a week. So they're, we're talking about these ideas of like local blackouts on the streaming services, which prevent you from watching your in-market teams, your home teams, and for which they have because they want you to buy cable. And look, football does the same thing. It's The 1 p.m. Sunday games are hard to see of course, not your but, local team. But for football, if there's only one game a week, you can go to a bar, you can go to your friend's house who has cable. You can, those are, those are appointment viewing in a way that sort of makes sense. And it's tricky for, I think, for baseball to find that balance between, you really, as someone who covers baseball, I've experienced this of like, you can really fall out of the loop fast. You miss a week of games and you're behind on the storylines. And that, I think, is a big problem. They need to get make the product so much more accessible. And they can't really be looking at these other leagues even to sort of justify things like blackouts, because I think that that day-to-day accessibility is so crucial to keeping fans engaged. It's a really wonky sport in a way. It can be a little bit off-putting. It can feel like there's so many stats and so much has changed and there's 162 games and it's such a long season that you really do have to encourage fans to be involved day in and day out. And that level of accessibility, things like promoting Ichiro's last game, that that needs to be like so at the forefront is this idea of like it's a tough sport to stay on top of. Mm. It's tough for me to stay on top of what's just happened. There's more players. In the NBA, there are fewer players. You can know all their names. You can watch the out-of-market games if, if and see guys who are huge stars that everyone knows, even if they're not big basketball fans. And we don't have that in baseball. And so it's such a regional sport and it's such a grind that I think making that making your local team more accessible is going to be such a big part of sort of keeping the sport alive, much more so than whatever, shaving two minutes off the game. Although I was noticing that some of these proposals include cutting down on commercial time, which seems like Good. a great way to sure. keep fans, rather than yeah. sort of, you know, I think... Take away the ads instead of the sport. Yeah. Exactly. And I think Please. anything that has to do with sort of like shaving off time in extra innings, whatever it is, starting a guy on second base like they've been doing in some of the spring training games and the minor league games, that seems just like the wrong route to go. If you've stayed till the 11th inning and the game is tied, that's not when you're like, all right, let's just wrap this shit up. <laughs> that's when you want to see them play. That's the good baseball. So I think sort of figuring figuring out what it is that's driving fans away. And a lot of that, I assume, has to do with the accessibility, the day-to-day accessibility of your local team. Yeah, and it's funny. You talk about, you know, if you really want to stay invested and be aware, you have to pay such close attention and follow all season. I actually feel like that type of fan is the fan that probably is, is unlikely to get recreated. That is, 
the, the person who lives in Queens and watches every single Mets game, you know, and, and they're watching SNY like every single day. That's the people who are subscribed to Yes Network because they're watching every single home game. I mean, I'm a big, big Red Sox fan. I think we're both from Boston, right? No, I'm from Philly, oh, man. I don't know why I thought you were a Boston Uh-oh. person. Oh, well, I first met you at Fenway. That's true. We can we, they have a cute backstory. That's right. It is cute. <laughs> um, okay, well, so a big Red Sox fan, and I certainly am generally aware of how they're doing throughout the season. And at the beginning of the season, I'm very excited. I'm very invested. And then, you know, for maybe a couple months there, I'm not watching regular season games. And then as we get closer and closer to the fall, it starts to feel very exciting. The stakes are getting higher. And then, of course, if lucky enough to be in the postseason, and right now we're in a great era for the Sox, I'm watching every game. But I'm not a person who usually will sit at home on a weeknight and watch a regular season Sox game. And I don't know many of my friends who are, even though many of them consider themselves big fans of a team. So I actually think that rather than try to get people to maybe behave in a way that baseball fans behaved 30 years ago, and then golf has the same thing. You can't just hope people will age into that behavior. Instead, it's like, okay, assume you're going to have fans who are more casually invested and cater to them that way. Allow more things on social. Don't have such restrictive rules. You know, MLB and NFL both kind of restrictive on what they allow the teams to put, you know, the in-game window. How many gifts can we post per game? It's like just embrace uh, the new kind of fast, quick-hit way fans are going to follow your sport. Yeah, definitely. It's also interesting you bring up sort of you get more invested at the end of the season, which which gets into the idea of is anyone invested in teams that are tanking? That's the other big thing that we're talking about in terms of the viability of baseball mm. and whether or not the sport is getting more or less healthy. Uh, is this idea that there are just that owners don't seem as invested in winning? And I think that has been a particularly this offseason more than ever before. I was very surprised in spring training talking to players and reading quotes from other reporters who were talking to players about this idea that's sort of been lurking has become much more out in the open. There's, it's very much at the forefront of players' conversations. Pretty much every article that's written about any offseason move talks about this idea of our owners trying to win? Are they just trying to save money? Is And wow. that is a really—you can't have that problem— be out there as a sports league. That is a bad reputation for your owners to have, and that's a problem. It pits the players against the owners. There's this idea of sort of, you know, people, some players will say that as much as two-thirds of the league is tanking and that you can can predict who's going to be in the postseason before they even start playing the games, and that is a really bad spot that baseball has gotten itself into. And it's, for me, as a reporter, as someone who's sort of interested in labor issues, I find it fascinating. I love it. I can't can't get enough of it. I'm happy to write every piece about, uh, you know, the CBA negotiations. But when you talk about sort of, and maybe to the to the real diehards, the guy who is watching every game, these storylines are interesting. But in terms of attracting new fans, in terms of yeah. a, uh, you know casual fans, in terms of sort of is baseball a fun sport to watch right now? The answer is no. If even the players think that some teams aren't trying to win, then you've sort of backed yourself into this corner where you're not giving your fans any reason to watch the games. If you're a fan of basically anyone in, in God, I don't know, Detroit, right. Kansas City, there's like huge markets that are just sort of the fan, the the players, the owners, everyone is sort of saying like, eh. It's a rebuilding year. Yeah. No, no fans get excited about watching a, a rebuilding year. Yeah, and I think, well, I think what what players are saying and what, you know, not to sort of parrot Tony Clark and the Players Association too directly because I think that uh, they've gotten their message out there pretty effectively this offseason, but I think that what they are saying is this idea of not just is it a rebuilding year, but they are not rebuilding 
with Ernest, that they are mm. they are just sort of saving money for the sake of saving money. And I talked to Chris Ionetta when I was down in spring training, um, and one of the things that he said was that, you know, guys are looking—teams are pointing to the Cubs and to the Red Sox, and they're saying, look, rebuilding works. But those teams signed big, big— uh, big dollar free agents, and also they got very lucky with <laughs> the talent that they drafted. And you know, relying on cheap talent is nice when you sort of spin it as homegrown, and relying on cheap talent is not so nice when you spin it as sort of just thrifty. Because I don't really care if the billionaire owners save a few million. <laughs> right. I'm glad you talk about signings. It's a good segue. You know, we've been talking kind of bird's eye view, macro, but let's zoom in on recent news and this season that we have starting. Uh, okay, so last week I was at a, a sports business conference in Chicago, and I was talking to the CMO of the Red Sox. Uh, he's also CMO of Fenway Sports Management. Kind of interesting portfolio. The Red Sox, they also own a, a racing team, and then, of course, Liverpool, which LeBron is a part mm-hmm. owner in. But, you know, I had to ask him about recent news. The Trout contract had just come out. Okay, 12 years, $430 million. Trout's going to stay an angel. I always think, by the way, side note, very cool and increasingly rare when a player is going to be with one team their whole career. That's my favorite that's thing. I love it. I think I, that's I'm, cool. I'm, yeah, that's sure. one of my favorite storylines. And, you know, it's not the greatest storyline that Mike Trout could have had with that signing because he could have actually gone somewhere that was good. Right. Um, but other than that, <laughs> barring that, uh, I'm glad that he's going to stay an angel forever. Well, so I had this guy, and you know, even though he's from the Sox, I had to ask him about recent news. I said, okay, what do you make of the signing? And, of course, some people say, gosh, these contracts are just getting so crazy. They're ballooning. And then what you see most people saying, although I think that when you see someone say this, that's how you know they're not really – paying close attention because the it's a very simple answer. It's about the business and the money involved. But but what the take you saw a lot of people saying is how can these contracts be getting so big when baseball is struggling in the way it is? And and does that not make sense? And of course you know, the Sox have their own star who will be coming up in a year, Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts. And he's going to either leave and get a huge contract somewhere else, or the Sox better keep him. Now, he's not going to get Mike Trout money, but he's very, very, very good. Oh, and he, he might get Mike Trout really? money. Okay. So here's the thing with Mookie Betts. He is uh, sort of consistently saying that he is going to test the free agent market, yeah. which Mike Trout did not do. So Mike Trout signed an extension with two years left on a previous extension he had already signed. He'll never hit free agency. To yeah, me, Trout didn't make it a mystery. Yeah. And to me, that is interesting, from a, particularly from a, a sort of baseball business standpoint of we will never see what the best player in baseball will get on the market because he's just never going to be on the market. Well, wait, it just happened with Harper. Oh, you're saying because uh, Trout is the best player. Okay, Trout okay, is okay. so much better than Bryce Harper. But uh-huh. I think that I actually think that, that Mookie Betts is a, a compro. And, you know, we'll see what he does this year because what Trout has over any of these guys is consistency, which is the kind of thing that makes you give someone a, a 10-year extension on a, you know, well, two although, years. Although he hasn't gone deep in the postseason now, not nah, his fault. Yeah, not but his it's, fault. But it always does help to see how a player plays deep in the postseason. Well, that's, that's, so if Mookie Betts is good again this year, then we're talking about, about Trump, Trout comps. And it does seem, so he's he's been pretty insistent that he's going to be a free agent. I think that uh, if they were going to sign an extension, it would probably have happened now. He seems like he wants to be a free agent. Uh, he wants to see what the market will get him. And now, that I, doesn't mean he won't stay, but he could still end up staying in Boston. Yes, although I, I would put my money on him not staying in Boston, wow. I think. I would say that oh. if he becomes a free agent, if he didn't sign an extension this offseason, then he becomes a free agent. And if he becomes a free agent, I bet he doesn't stay in Boston. If only because, look, the <laughs> the Bills for the 2017 or the 2018, sorry, World Series win are coming up soon. They have a lot of players that they are going to have to yeah. sign to extensions, give more money to. And sign this is extended Chris Sale. Yeah. And I have no sympathy for owners when it comes to money. They should all spend, spend, spend. Everyone can afford everyone. Don't let them tell you that they're a small market team and they can't afford Mike Trout. Of course right. they can. Um, but 
I think Mookie Betts is going somewhere else, and I think that he will get. Oh, okay. So I bet Mike Trout could have gotten more money on the on the mark, open market. That's we're starting with that as a. He got 430, 12 years. Well, he got less than that over 10 years plus two years. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that Mookie Betts is not Mike Trout, but maybe the second best player in baseball right now. Also, a little bit more marketable. He did win a World Series. He's coming out of Boston. I think that he gets at least $400 million wow. in his contract in two years. And the other thing that we have to talk about when we talk about contracts, because nobody ever talks about it, is inflation. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no one ever talks about it. The reason that the contracts are bigger than they've ever been before yes. is because every bit of money is just, sort of bigger just, just than time. it ever been. Well, and I always say, too, that uh, a, a professional sports franchise— at least in the big three leagues, or if you want to say hockey, okay, mm-hmm. big four, is like the only recession-proof investment. It doesn't matter what happens with the rest of the economy, like, you know, and, and you can say, oh, but cord cutting, no. You buy a sports team, even a bad sports team that doesn't do well in the field, three years from now, you can turn around and sell for more. The Jeter in the Marlins, doesn't, you know, he, right. can, he can run that team to the ground. He can sell. If he wants to get out in four years, he can resell, sell for more than he got. Um, but, I, but I want to go back to the, the Fenway guy, the interview with the Red Sox guy, because I said to him, what are the contracts? You know, what do you make of it? Is it out of control? And he said, oh, no, I think that these contracts... Now, of course, again, what else could he say? But he said, I think these contracts show you that baseball is healthy. And I think the bigger they get, it just shows you that the interest is there because these players couldn't be earning what they're earning without the fan interest being That's there. not true at all. Right. And in fact, that's a problem. I mean, it's not a problem. It's... Right now, the owners are made just made a huge windfall of money from the the BAM tax sale mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with fan interest. They're making a, so much money off of the sort of RSN exclusive deals. They're they're. It's unfortunate that fan interest does not actually sort of feed the team money in a meaningful way that is like a feedback loop and makes a better team better or whatever it is. There's you know there's revenue sharing in baseball. Everything like you're saying, the baseball team is not a bad investment even if they're the Marlins, which is a very bad team. Um, and poorly. Run and poorly run. Um, but to the point of whether or not baseball is healthy based on these contracts, I think it's interesting because the players would say that baseball is not healthy based on these contracts, and it has nothing to do with how big they are. It has to do with the fact that they're only going to the top 1% of the top 1% and of And not only that, but the, the way that they're structured where they're so often rewarded when a player has already proven they deserve it, and thus, unfortunately, when a player may have peaked. Yes. I mean, my favorite example always is like Ellsbury, Johnny Damon was another one, these guys who they get the big contract, and it's back-weighted, so that now... Now they're getting paid the most they've ever been paid in the years when they're actually not that great. Anyway, to share uh, toward the well, end. in fact, that's not happening anymore, which is what players are frustrated by. So there's, you know, there was a generation of that, and probably contracts like Ryan Howard and the other ones scared owners off from doing that. They realized that guys who are pushing thirty are not worth the money, even yeah. if they are big stars. And so now no one is paying those players that money. And so there's a generation of players that's sort of lost. It's these uh, like middle of the road guys uh, who didn't get big money when they were young because it's hard to get big money. When when you're young yes. as a baseball player because you have six years of team control. And now that that's they're not sort of getting what they thought was coming to them yeah. in the sense of teams paying for name brand power or for home runs. This, this idea of your, your Mike Trouts, your Bryce Harpers, your Manny Machados, they were always going to get big contracts in part because they are so young, because they came up so early in their lives that they, they're hitting free agency or they're hitting, you know, close enough to free agency to justify a, a lengthy, expensive extension sort of still in their mid-20s, but then you're seeing like a whole middle class of baseball. There's this idea that the middle class of baseball player is disappearing. There's a whole bunch of guys who came up a little later, who spent six years under team control, who were good during those years, and who are now sort of 
they're just past their peak and they thought that they were going to sign a, one huge contract to sort of make all that money and that's not showing up because owners are realizing it's interesting it's this idea of everything getting more efficient and more optimized what the owners are doing is effectively smart they're realizing rather than pay your like Dallas Keuchel's and your Craig Kimbrell's uh, a big contract you can sort of put together cheaper, younger pieces to fill those holes in a way that, like, will be fine, even if it's sort of disappointing to fans and disappointing to players. And that's the problem that baseball is really facing, is this idea of how do you force owners to sign players who want a lot of money when owners can get cheaper talent under team control that Mm. is less interesting to fans, maybe. Yeah, I don't... uh... It ain't easy, but I also don't pity. No, 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 no. No one should pity anyone who wants a baseball team. Um, So we're talking about Trout, uh, and I see, you know, you are of the camp. I guess it's all the experts. Oh, is the best player in the league, best player in the league. Um, But, you know, we talked about also star power mattering. Um, And, of course, our our favorite discussion every season, and then it it really, this really heated up around the Yahoo Finance newsroom um, when Aaron Judge came into the picture with the Yankees. Because, okay, now you've got a legitimate star, Maybe not one of the top three stars in the league, but someone really good, big, big, big boy, big slugger, and he's in the top media market. He's in New York. He's under the bright lights, and so when he came out with the Yankees, uh, we started doing our "Who is the face of baseball game?" You know, and I work with a lot of people who are from New York, so they're all Yankees fans. And then we even have a couple anchors who they're not from New York and they're still Yankees fans, which I hate. And they all say it's Aaron Judge. It's Aaron Judge. Um, now I don't think it's I, I don't think it's Aaron Judge, but my answer to the game, you know, who's the face of this league? Who is the most marketable player? When I ask that question, what I mean is not who's the best player. You know, it's it's who is the player who a casual fair weather baseball fan, or maybe even ideally someone who doesn't even say they're a baseball fan, who's only vaguely aware of baseball, would you know, they recognize, oh, I know right. who that is. You know, we know who it is in football. It's Tom Brady. There's when Peyton was playing, you know, sure, maybe even you could say JJ Watt, even though, you know, do people know him, but he's in ads and then basketball. We know LeBron, Harden, Durant, Westbrook, we've got a lot of stars in basketball. Is there a face in baseball? No, it's, there's not. Well, so I think it's not my trout. I think what's interesting is to see I was sort of thinking about this idea of I think that the free agency made Bryce Harper's star go mm, up in a way mm. that it's sort of funny that Mike Trout will never have that. I was mm. just I was just sort of looking into this and I, I read that uh, Bryce Harper set the record for first day jersey sales or T-shirt sales yep. across sports when he signed with Philly. And I think that that is, you know, his star is up that now he has there's there is an enthusiasm. And in particular, those sweepstakes were were insane. Scott it's a bidding Boris, war, yeah. Yeah, Scott Boris successfully worked the league to make it seem like this was going to be the biggest news in baseball, and it certainly felt that way when it happened. I mean, that is... 19 whole days as the highest paid, yeah, as the biggest exactly. contract ever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I still think, right, I think that that off-season sweepstakes made Bryce Harper more famous. I, You know, they they rushed to edit MLB The Show to get Harper yeah, in a Yeah, that was very cool. Jersey. I have to admit that that was really cool. And by the way, worth mentioning, there were people who even before he got this mega contract were saying, oh, it's Bryce Harper. Right. I think that, I think it's Bryce Harper. I think it's a little bit, I think Mookie Betts maybe should be a bigger star. I think there's, So likable. So right. Likeable. But I would say it's Harper. I would say it's Harper right now. Right now, okay. I'd say the face of baseball is Harper, but I would say that that's, I'm not going to say it's disappointing, but I think that there should be either a clearer answer or a more interesting right. debate. It is well, so, yeah, I, I think, yeah, and I don't think people would recognize him on the street um, necessarily. <laughs> they would in Philly. Of, <laughs> well, now they would. Right, right, right. And a good-looking guy, too. I mean, that yeah, helps. He's got the definitive haircut. Sure. Yeah. Beautiful guy. But, I mean, it's not... 
it's not A-Rod, you know? And you could say A-Rod, it was because of controversy. But I, I like to use as the litmus test my mom, you know? And she's right. 70, and she lives in Boston, and so she knows that we, as a family, care about the Red Sox. She knows who David Ortiz is, man. I mean, she knew Poppy, and she knew Nomar. Right. And I'm not sure she could name any other current baseball player, but she knows who A-Rod is. Right. And then, whereas, you know, and then in football, she knows Brady, but it's not just about Boston, because she sure knows LeBron, and she knows Michael Jordan. Um, I don't know yeah, she knows it's, Kevin it's, Durant, but she certainly know, has, can identify Bryce Harper. I'll sort of that. since you brought this topic up, I've been trying to think while talking about, like, why isn't it Aaron Judge? Because it certainly could right. be. He is, I mean, you know, if you want to get sort of, like, very literal about it, he's distinctive looking. Yes. You would recognize him on the street. Even if you didn't recognize him on the street, you would say, that man probably plays professional sports. And he's, he's fun. Large he's just a big, and strong. big old, he's like Paul Bunyan. Just a, right. He's young and he's in New York. Why isn't it Aaron Judge, man? Banging balls. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think it's any of them, though. I mean, I, Jeter was the closest thing. You could argue that G- since Jeter is still an owner, you know, he, now that he's in the business, he it's might still be Jeter. the most interesting. Yeah, G- Derek Jeter or A Rod. He's right. you know on well, Sunday night baseball. Back. Oh my God! I mean, um, boy, it, I, I, there's nothing more interesting and satisfying to me as like a as like a sort of weird Jeter hater for no particular reason than A-Rod being significantly more popular and more successful in his post-baseball career than Derek Jeter. I love that Derek Jeter was like, I'm going to buy a baseball franchise. I'm going to sort of like stay in the game. Everyone's going to love me. And A-Rod is just... Yeah. Everyone loves him now. The Fantastic A-Rod, <laughs> the A-Rod re- re- and, renaissance is fully complete. And you know they hate each other. I mean, come on. Oh, of course they do. They must. Is it, no, sure, I'm, surely they do. Uh, all right, so as we've hit the trades. Now let me just ask you this. We've, we've satisfied our business requirements. No, we've hit the signings. None of these right, are fine. trades. Okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. But that's but, interesting. You know, yeah. we're only getting one trade deadline this year. That's a change. Yep, okay, okay. Yeah. No, not as not as much hot stove. Fun. No. Um, but, I, I mean, let me just ask, you know, and, and we, we always like to do the business angle, so I'm not focusing too much on sort of record stuff, but here we are, beginning of the season, uh, sort of the equivalent of the Browns question with the NFL, where suddenly everyone's like, oh, my God, the Browns are going to be good. And then some people are like, well, no, they're going to be better, but are they, gonna, are they really going to be good? How good will the Phillies be with Bryce Harper? So how good will the Padres, how much better will the Padres be with Manny Machado? Uh, it, it, I was thinking, I was like, I was sort of shocked when I realized that the Phillies haven't had a winning season in years. And it's weird because we think of them vaguely as like a team that's usually good. Yes. And in, and, and this offseason in particular, I think we think of them as like, well, how far are the Phillies going to go in the postseason? And it's like, well, they haven't had like a, they haven't been over 500 in like <laughs> years or something. Um, but I think the Phillies are going to be good. The only reason the Phillies might underperform is because they are playing in a very crowded division at a time when most divisions are not very crowded in terms of teams that are seriously contending. But the Phillies, they traded for JT Realmuto. We were just talking about this. Best catcher in baseball. That one was a real trade. It was interesting. They actually they upgraded their catcher from a pretty good catcher to the best catcher, and that's that's good. They they traded their, unfortunately, slightly less good catcher back to the Marlins. Um, <laughs> they signed Andrew McCutcheon, who sure. uh, is, you know, a, talk about guys who are a little bit over the hill, but he's fun, he's good, he's going to be better in a corner outfield position than he will be in center. Uh, they've traded for Gene Segura, or signed Gene Segura. They, they've added a lot. They've made a lot of moves at a time when most teams did not make a lot of moves. And so I think... They're going to be legitimately good. The Braves, the Nationals, the Mets are all going to also be good. I've I've sort of been picking the Mets for the team that looks like they're going to be good on paper, but unfortunately in such a crowded division, Mm. they're going to end up finishing fourth and then just sort of beat up on the Marlins. Um, The Padres. The Padres are going to be better. It's funny, for our season previews, I picked the Padres as the team that had the best best offseason, even though I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. But I think that they did a really wonderful and interesting thing by signing Manny Machado in a year where they're not quite ready to contend because they've sort of given their—talk about sort of, you know— 
uh, appealing to your fans. You're giving your fans something to come and look out for at a time when you are rebuilding. They signed him to a long enough deal that they can sell some tickets. Yeah, sell some tickets and get some, you know, generate some interest in the game. And generate some interest in the idea of the rebuild as being not just a euphemism for being thrifty, but mm. you know, they they this was the well, I guess whatever before Harper and before Trout, but <laughs> but for that brief window, and Manny Machado had signed, and those other two had, and I think that the Padres had the record for having given the largest deal in the offseason two years in a row. So they're not very good yet, but I think that they are all in in a way that is both commendable and also an exciting time to sort of be in San Diego. Plus, who wouldn't want to move to San Diego? It's, like, gorgeous every day of the year. Great. <laughs> I like that pitch for the Padres. Uh, I want to make sure we plug. You will have uh, very soon, after we record this, a, a big interview, right, coming up. Are we allowed to say that? Oh, yeah. With, uh, well, I guess we maybe, maybe shouldn't we shouldn't say it yet, but I'm going to be in Philly okay, this good. week for opening day. Right, and we you won't can, say what player, you but can you'll infer. interview some players. Yeah, exactly. They'll okay, be in good. Philly for opening day, and then from good. Philly I will go to D.C., and right. I will be uh, interested in the player for whom that is the most relevant <laughs> trip. Sure. So everyone, uh, everyone check out Hannah's stuff coming up and watch for some good content from her after you hear this podcast on Thursday. Happy opening day, Hannah. Thank you so much for joining us. Really great stuff. Thank you. I could talk to you for a long time, but we'll cut it short now. Yeah, we'll just go talk off the pod. Yes, and we'll have you back on the podcast really soon. Uh, Listeners, she is Hannah R. Kaiser on Twitter, K-E-Y-S-E-R, formerly of Deadspin, Vice, and others, but now she's ours at Yahoo Sports. So thank you, Hannah. We want to hear from you about your baseball expectations. Are you watching? Are you excited? Is baseball dead? It isn't. I say it isn't. Hannah says it isn't. I hope not. Uh, Stick back with us. We come out, as you know, every Thursday morning. This is Yahoo Finance Sportsbook. And remember, please rate, review, and subscribe on any platform you want. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye.